When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Road and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. everybody turn your volume knobs down get you right in right aggressive i'm jeff woody i'm back uh grant decided that he wanted to have a cyclone legend on when i wasn't here because that's nice it's what friends do when one can't fill in you get a hell of an interview if you haven't listened to the george condit one go back because that's fun and george condit's just like the nicest grizzly bear of a human uh a couple, so, couple ducks in that episode a few ducks um, so this is, uh, we are brought to you by Kelderman manufacturing actually at the, we will event. Did you get to meet, uh, Jeff Kelderman? No, I did a great event though. That was super fun. It's a couple I mean, this is a little, a little bit lagged. Aiden, did you get a chance to, to meet him, to, to meet Jeff Kelderman? I did not know. Uh, great dude. Um, has like the steel trap handshake that you'd expect from someone who works in machinery and manufacturing. Ethan Tufty. <laughs> Tufty, Tufty was a mechanic. Tufty. Jesus Christ, Tufty. That's a great block. <laughs> uh, it's a Bill Blyle reference for you. Uh, so the, uh, you know, like great dude. Like, I mean, just exactly what you want someone who works in manufacturing and mechanics to be. So strong hands. Yeah. Strong hands. Uh, shout out to Jeff Kelderman, Kelderman manufacturing, go to Kelderman.com, figure out what they can do. Probably do something for you. Uh, anyway, Grant, how you doing, buddy? Good. I would not be good at manufacturing. I got uh, dainty little weak women hands. That's true. You, uh, you did. We, we talked about this, uh, off air when, uh, the the ring size that you have uh it doesn't fit in men's ring sizing try to fit on try to put on your pinky it won't fit this goes one knuckle down so grant just slid his ring for those audio listeners only grant just slid his ring across the room and i can get it down one knuckle on my pinky so grant's just got uh what what i lack in hands i make up in other places jeff what do you want to dive into here is this a is that a i don't know what uh, appendage are you referring to my, I've got a strong leg. No, it's kicking. Yeah, you're a yeah, kicker. Yeah, it's yeah. legs. That's what I was talking um, about. Perineum. <laughs> <laughs> Just exceptionally large perineum. <laughs> Where yeah. is that in the anatomy textbooks? The exceptionally large perineum. Oh, boy. I hope your kids are in the car. Um, all right. So we're going to start. I don't know how you transition from perineum to... Uh, where we're going to start. There's three main things because we're recording this Tuesday. We normally record this Monday night, but there was something that happened on Monday night that we had to kind of scheduling conflict for. And also we didn't want to record something on a Monday that would be out of date 
two hours after recording and prior to it ever being published. So we are recording as Tuesday. Um, and three kind of main stories in Cyclone Land are that Nate Shieldhouse uh, is no longer the OC at Iowa State. He is on to uh, objectively greener pastures because we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, next thing, Iowa State uh, falling short at Houston in just an absolute freaking fist fight of a game. And then the recent most kind of breaking news at least as of today, is that the college football playoff officially approved the five plus seven format, meaning we now know who qualifies for the college football playoff this upcoming football season. It's already here. So we're going to start with the Shieldhouse thing just because that is kind of like chronologically, it's what happened first. Um, I What's the social media buzz around this? Because again, I don't, I'm, I don't do the socials. So what is the feeling when it was announced that uh, Nate Shieldhouse, who is now going to be the passing game coordinator for Sean McVay and the LA Rams. What is the feeling uh, as Grant about Knox's water off the table? What's the feeling in social media land for yeah, this? I had seen that Brian Ferentz is leading the clubhouse for... Uh, don't you... Oh, don't you... Aaron, oh, Aiden, get the ducks ready. Don't you ducking say that. Um, don't you ducking say that. No, I, I don't think that there's really any... Um, I mean, no one really knows. It just happened. What, what I had kind of speculated, I think I texted you guys, is that uh, Clanton was an offensive corner at UNI prior to come to Iowa State. My bet would be that Clanton maybe gets, yeah, he's only been in the program for one year. This will be a second year. My bet is that Clanton will be promoted to offensive coordinator. We'll still be O-line coach, but offensive coordinator. And then Kyle Kemp will slide into that quarterback coaching spot. However, Jake Waters. That's uh, true. Jake Water, he's not the running backs coach. Correct? Well, it never officially got announced. Okay. So we, we've got two quarterbacks on on staff, Jake Waters and Kyle Kemp. So I think my guess is Kemp will still coach the quarterbacks because of his relationship with Rocco and JJ. Yeah. Uh, and then Waters will coach because what Jake's been there, or yeah. at least has been there before. And so he's gonna I, my guess is that Jake coaches the running backs and then Kemp coaches the quarterbacks, Clanton coaches the offensive line. I think the watching this going forward, it sort of feels like you're going to get an indication of what the staff's expectation of the next couple seasons are. So if they are expecting, and I think to, to the fans, and I would say we fall somewhere between fans and media, you know, at cyclone fanatic uh, with, if you are, if you're a team like Iowa, you have Cade McNamara on for his last really kind of his last ride. You probably, you know, you don't, you got Caden Proctor. Caden Proctor is going to be in. He's probably going to be an NFL draft pick in the next year or two. I, I think because this is be his second year. I think he's eligible this next year. I, but like, this is kind of like if you're going to make a push in Iowa's situation because the personnel they have this year is sort of a you need it. You need this year to be good. Iowa State is in a longer time horizon, but they also have a lot of talent when you look at Jalen Knoll and uh, Higgins and uh, Rocco and Abu like. Isaiah Olsen too, the guy who just transferred in from uh, Army. Yeah, so like you've got you've got talent and Bramer. Yeah, Bramer, uh, the the Princeton kid. Like you've got talent this year that you want to capitalize on, but because of how young the roster is, it's not like you you have to sell out for this season. So it's kind of like I would say like a seventy thirty. They're going to try and make and maximize this year over the priority of the next few seasons if there does become a conflict. Now, my guess is that Clanton would be the higher either way, but uh, I, I, in the, the responses to, cause you guys would send me a tweet and like in the responses, people say, Oh, Dana Holgerson, like let's use Dana Holgerson as like a, a as an example. It's cause that's Williams like pet project uh, is if you're bringing an outside coordinator in 
they have to learn your language or your kids have to learn their language. And if you're learning their language, what comes with language is if I went, if I looked at you and just as like the English language, if I looked at you and said, it's a nice shirt, Grant, like on paper, the phrase nice shirt, comma, Grant is a compliment. But the way that I said that made it seem like, yeah, is he, is it kind of a dig? So like, you feel like you're not a fan of flannel season. Yeah. It's flannel season in the fall. Anyway, the, but like that phrasing that also applies with football. So like if your offensive terminology completely turns over then, or, or the language that you're speaking, so how you communicate it, then what am I thinking? So let's say that the, the, I don't know how the, they, they called their offense. So let's say it's like using the sort of a terminology and, and I forget the exact specifics of what the play is. So for those, if they're former players or guys that played under Herman and this doesn't make any sense, I apologize, but let's say it's Trey left up 861 smash X go or something like that. If that's the phrasing that you're used to and you hear that play call, you go, got it. I understand this is a play action to the left. I'm trying to bring that linebacker up. We're trying to get that sale. So we're isolating this for our side safety. I'm going to, my read is right there. And I know that because of how he's calling this, we're probably going to also keep our play actions to the left side so I can turn my show, whatever. Like, you know, the intricacies of what that call means. I'm glad I didn't need to know any of that. <laughs> you said, kick it. 47 yarder. Got it. Go. Uh, What's the play? Kick it. Got kick. it. Go. <laughs> Fake. Uh, green. Those. Green. Uh, but the, like, if you're to get a new offensive coordinator, you're bringing that new language in, which means the guys have to learn both the literal definition of what the plays are and also the subtext of what those plays mean. And that's why like coordinator quarterback cohesion really matters. And my is that they're going to want to keep that language and the subtext the same. And that's why they're going to internally promote Clanton is my guess. Like that's no insider information. Don't take that as like, this is going to happen. But if you bring an outside person in, either they have to learn your language and call plays in your language, or you have to learn theirs, which usually takes a year or two. Like we saw with Shillhouse, like it took four or five games for the offense to kind of get on the same page because they could then figure out what the talent needs. And then also Rocco and him could say, oh, this is what he means by this. So like my guess based on, where the talent and depth of this roster is, is my guess is they're going to internally promote because they want to maximize this year without sacrificing future years. That I, I agree with that. I think that'll be the, cause I we've seen Campbell so often where he keeps everything close to the chest um, and he close to the vest and, and he, you know, like with, with Cratch, you know, he aren't vests on your chest. Uh, keep the vest on your chest, close to your rib cage, sternum, breast, breast, chest. Uh, and uh, you didn't pass that test. No, I didn't chest press test. So like Cratch was one on the staff left and then came back. So like Campbell likes to keep everyone, you know, he likes to keep his circle tight. So in my opinion, yeah, I think he will hire internally. However, I could see him doing something. Like, I don't think Tom Manning's coming back, but someone like that, who's been in the system, obviously Golish is a head coach, so he's not coming back, but someone like that who has been in this, in the staff left and maybe, maybe he could bring him back. Someone who is already familiar with, because like you said, he, Campbell's not going to bring in someone to, revolutionize the offense and do something that is different than what has been done in the eight, nine years he's been here. He's going to want to bring in someone or promote someone within who is familiar with what they're doing and who's going to run the offense that Campbell wants to run. And also within a coaching staff, a lot of times people forget the fact that it is a workplace still. And, you know, athletics are much more tight than most other workplaces are because the goal is easier to achieve. We're like, are you winning or losing? End of conversation. You know, that's, 
we're developing young men, but are you winning or losing? And so that's a much easier yes or no, are you succeeding or failing? So it's easier to kind of rally people around it, but it's still a workplace. And if you already like the cohesion that you have with your workforce, you don't want to risk bringing a guy in who's going to be a bad culture fit with your coaching staff because sort Mark of, Mangino. Mark Mangino, exactly. I mean, Chris Klanakis is that. Is you have guys that may be on paper good fits, but don't have good personality fits. We're like, uh, I, I don't remember the exact source of this information, but like thinking about hiring, if you're trying to hire, oh yeah, it was a Freakonomics episode on the 49ers. And when they were talking about hiring Shanahan and the GM, they were looking at what made the most successful coach GM pairs. And when the brass for the 49ers wanted to hire, they needed to hire two people or they, they found that it was the most successful to have two people in the same state of their career in that if you have a guy who's a head coach like Shanahan, who's trying to build a career, and then you have a guy who's a 66-year-old GM who's kind of just like holding on to all his cards, not necessarily preparing for retirement, but is a little bit more stodgy and isn't trying to take as many risks because he's not, risks at 66 aren't as important as risks at 38. And so you want to get two guys. That's why one of the reasons why they went with John Lynch is because they're two guys in the same state of their career because they see things the same way. That applies here. So like, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a young guy guaranteed uh, because Haycock is in his, what, 60s, 50s, 60s, and Campbell is in his 40s, and Shieldhouse was in his 30s. So it's not like they're specifically like to age gaps, but like the way you see the world needs to line up with the way that everybody else sees the world. And I think an internal hire probably makes more sense unless it's somebody that you know from the past like a jason campbell again he's a head coach at toledo but like that guy if he goes i know that he i know the way he sees the world i know he'd fit in this with this with this culture i could go to a coaching staff and their family's barbecue he'd bring the kids we'd all have fun you know whatever that feels is it a good fit so it feels like a safer and more logical option to internally promote so my guess again no outside sources clanton probably going to OC, staying at offensive line. Jake Waters became the running backs coach. Kyle Kemp officially quarterbacks coach. That's my guess. And we, we've seen too with Campbell that, you know, if you stay loyal to him, he'll stay loyal to you. And he likes guys who like Colby Cratch. He was a tight end for Campbell at Toledo. Jeff Myers was an offensive lineman for Campbell at Toledo. He likes keeping guys, you know, who are loyal to him. He likes keeping them around and promoting them within, which is why I think, I think he, he's okay bumping camped up to, you know, the, the quarterback yeah, or coach. theoretically would be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, no insider information. If it happens, cool. Uh, if it, if it's formally named in the next day or two, I, I imagine they also kick the tires on like who else would be interested. I think you I think, should. I, I think you should, I think you still should interview outside people or interview people who may be interested just to make sure you're getting the best candidate for the, for the positions. Right. Um, and also I think the other things like the other side of this is like, when I said the grass is objectively greener with Shieldhouse, dude, the McVeigh tree, is unbelievable. I sent you guys an article and I, I just, before we recorded this, I went through and counted how many current head coaches, not including Sean McVay, were assistants in Los Angeles, not even had worked with McVay at other places. If you were an assistant in Los Angeles and he got hired in 2017, so it's any exactly like 30 years of being, and he's only what, 37? He's hired when he was 30. So to that, since 2017. That's crazy, man. I couldn't imagine being I know. 30 running a team. So he got hired in 2017. In the what six seasons since then, six or seven seasons since then, uh, how many current NFL head coaches, not including Sean McVay, were on that staff since he was in LA? I'm not sure. I'm gonna guess five. Four. Uh, four I was four, say four. Four current head coaches, then Sean McVay. How many current coordinators were 
on that staff in some capacity since he was in Los Angeles? I'm going to say four. 12. Shoot. Between offense, defense, special teams, 12 court current coordinators, not including guys like uh, Kevin O'Connell, who is in Minnesota, who also calls the plays. That doesn't count. Like 12 separate guys. If you work for Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, that is an elevator to the top. Like I would bet that Nate Shieldhouse is going to be an offensive coordinator here in the, in the NFL in two to three years. Well, and Williams had tweeted out that uh, Shieldhouse got offered three different college football offensive coordinator um, positions this cycle alone, plus whatever NFL teams were coming after him, which we've known for years that NFL teams have come after Shieldhouse, you know, to, to try to recruit him away. So, I mean, Iowa State, you know, not only putting NFL players into the league, also putting NFL coaches in the league. So yeah, and one can, would say we're an NFL factory. Yeah, it's NFL factory. Um, and you can't really even be like mad or no, disappointed. No, great opportunity for yeah, him. I mean, great opportunity for him. And I also feel like that uh, the more, and, and so this is why like Iowa players make it into the NFL and Alabama players make it in the NFL because the coaching staff has enough of a relationship. Ference and Belichick worked together. They know each other really well. And if Bill Belichick gives someone the stamp of approval, everybody else gets the stamp of approval. Now, Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan are sort of the guys that have that kind of uh, blessing towards everything. So if you have a staff relationship with those guys, if you're on, I, I can't even think of somebody who's like on the fence of who would be drafted or not be drafted. So like, let's say, I don't know, next year, right? Jalen Noel, like maybe he's a fringe guy, six, seven rounder. Maybe he's whatever. I don't know where his, his draft stock would be predicted. But let's say that next next offseason, Jalen Knowles, like a sixth, seventh round draft pick, and Nate Shieldhouse at scouting meetings or coaches' clinics or whatever, he goes, This, this Noel kid, he's got it. Well, that carries a lot of weight because it's in the McVeigh treats and the Shanahan treat. That guy, he automatically then has the blessing. So the more that Shieldhouse succeeds in the NFL and has relationships because he, you know, leaving amicably. Uh, relationship with the staff that like the better this is for everybody. So it, like, yeah, you can be disappointed that you lose a great coach. Obviously Sean McVay ain't calling Nate Shieldhouse if he's a bad coach. We we knew that. I mean, at some point Shieldhouse was going to be poached too. Right. It would just happen a little sooner. But I mean, I, I can think of four guys off the top of my head who have been on a Campbell staff who are in the NFL in some capacity as a coach. You've got Shieldhouse now um, with the Rams, mm -hmm. you've got Ianni, who is with the Broncos, which yeah. he was only there for a year or so, but still, you got Tom Manning, who's with the the Colts, and you got Joe Houston, who was a special teams coordinator for a little bit, who was with the Patriots. I think he's now with the Jaguars. So there's at least four I can think of off the top of my head that were on a Campbell staff at one point. So. And and there's a guy named Brock Purdy who's pretty successful. A guy named Brees Hall's pretty successful. Yeah. So like. You got you now are getting a lot more of the benefit of the doubt. So it's better. It, it's I'm not trusting only, the process. I wouldn't right say, now. yeah, you should. And I don't know if it's actually better for the program because obviously you want to have your coach here, but like it's not bad for Iowa State to have Nate Shieldhouse go to the NFL. So I don't know. It I, I think it's an interesting thing. Like I'm not really all broken up about it. it it's there's still talent. It sucks because yeah, the, the talent is so young in the team and Shieldhouse was is an a, a future star coordinator head coach, whatever he does in life, the dude's a star. So it sucks to lose him after one year because there is so much talent coming back, but good opportunity. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Good. Good for you. Happy, happy for you. Good um, question for yeah. you guys. Give it to us. Dream scenario. Who's the offensive coordinator for Iowa state? Brian Ferentz. All right. Before I answer, is there, do you think there's a chance that Campbell calls the plays? Probably not. Okay. I, I think feel he, like we saw that. I didn't go well, and I uh, yeah, I and mean, I think the the 
uh, what Campbell's the, he's a great coach anywhere, but he, where he's best is administrative of like, we're going to motivate, we're going to get all of everyone on the same page and we're going to make sure that we stay on that same page. And I'll be the, the critical decision maker when he's things like need CEO, to happen. Basically. Yeah, very good at that job. And I think to take him out of that job, which you only have so many hours in the day, the more you put on his plate as a play caller, the less he's able to do that. And now obviously John Haycock can do that, but you lose Tyson Vite, who's like one of his best buddies too, who it feels like he's he needs to stay in the administrative CEO, head coach, motivator, plan, game plan, set everything, and have an OC come in. Um, I don't know if there's dream scenario. This sounds kind of weird, but Chip Kelly. I mean, he's the he's the the OC now at Ohio State. He left UCLA. The head man at UCLA to be the what OC. A crazy thing to do. I wonder if that ain't just because the stress of being a head coach is insane. That like, because I think there's a lot of things that. Yeah. probably weighed into it and that is certainly one of them and also flying across the country for every single game right doesn't seem like it's the most yeah. entertaining i still don't know why ucla is not a top 10 team every year that, camp, that campus is yeah beautiful if if you had somebody from ucla come to your living room and say we would like to offer you a scholarship i would say where do i sign where do i sign how quick can i start mm -hmm. i don't know i the campus is beautiful my, my vote would be for uh garrett riley oh that's a Okay. That's a, that's a that's a good little pick too. He's 34. He's young. He's at Clemson now. This is his first or second year. I mean, he's a he's an up and comer. Yeah, that's another one I would get. I think the the I don't I guess I don't know enough about like the actual people that are calling the plays like that. I can't come off the top of my head. Or Kansas is old. Uh, yeah, Kotelnicki. Yeah, um, so I think the the people that come to mind are people that square pegs score hold a system of. All right, you've got a uh, you've got a quarterback who is really efficient. He's got a decent arm downfield, but it's mostly it's Brock Purdy 2.0. Like how can you best run an offense that suits him? You have an offensive line that is getting better. You have guys that can move people if they need to, but more or less they're going to be they're they're quick setting offensive line aggressive right away. You have wide receivers that are awesome in space and you have a running back who has the potential to be an absolute stud, but he's still pretty green. What do you do with those pieces? It's not, we're going to run shotgun we're gonna put a running back on the side we're gonna run four wide receivers and that's what we're gonna do like triple option it, yeah so whatever anyone that comes in that's too stubborn and doesn't adapt to the personnel that to me feels like the wrong fit so whoever is going to be uh, whoever adapts the personnel and maximizes what do we have that feel that to me feels like the best one it feels like to me like i guess because this is sort of a product of uh playing while chip kelly was at oregon uh was sort of feels like he is sort of the best guy that does that of where do we find and Lincoln Riley? Where do we find guys that are? How do we ma best maximize what they're doing? So that's I don't know. That sounds like you're uh, describing a team that Hal Mummy could really <laughs> okay, get along Chris. with. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, how, how He's many available? How, right? many, how many carries is Abu Sama going to get in that in that offense? He can catch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the uh, kid from Minnesota would love that. What about like? I think this is all from. C-Dub's tweet. He said, like, I think someone said Dana Holgerson. Oh, that would be horrible. I don't think that, that would feels, be That really feels like well. a really horrible, yeah. like a, a culture fit. Like Hard just pass. I think Hard he's a pass. good coach. But it doesn't feel like the culture fit, fit yeah. is right. Like, yeah. that to me feels like that's the... I, I don't think that your workplace environment, if you're Matt Campbell, improves or stays the same with Holgerson there. It feels like it gets worse. Just because... And he... I, I jokingly, like... Ah, screw Holgerson. But like, I, I don't, I don't know him. I, he might be a nice guy, but like, I just doesn't seem like the way he carries himself 
and the way this coaching staff carries themselves matches up. And so that to me feels like a little oil and watery where even if he might be academically in the, in the brain, a good spot, but like in the feelings, it's not necessarily the right fit. Hard pass on uh, yeah Holgerson or 71 year old how mummy. Hey, <laughs> he still has it. All right. I, 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 I agree. Also like if, if we're talking about the air raid specifically, it needs to be air raid adjacent if you're going to be like truly successful, just because what John Haycock has done to college football has created a defense where that is more or less the offense that's completely designed to stop because that's how prevalent it got is that air raid slash run and gun. That offense is exactly what the three, three, five stack is meant to stop. And so now two thirds of the teams in the big 12 run that defense and so you're you're sort of jumping back pre-revolution to figure that out. So whoever is going to be doing this is going to be doing the next ver- would need to do like the next version of whatever offense is going to be. So I don't know. I I, I as as much is the as the wing T dead. <laughs> wing T. I think there's there's some elements that come back. I think there's some elements of the wing T that come I hope back. You ran the wing T in high school. <laughs> Were you the quarterback? Uh, no, I was a receiver, but let me remind you, I left high school on a 21 game losing streak. Oh boy. So we threw the ball 10 times a game, maybe. And my, uh, my route tree was streaks <laughs> down go. the field, baby. Just go down the field. I'm just faster than you. That's what we're going to do with. Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else? Any, any more juice to squeeze out of that orange? No, but I think, I think, um, I, I would be fine hiring internally or I'd be fine hiring someone who is a, a young John Haycock who is, which is easier said than, than done, who is just going to revolutionize, you know, who, who has the kind of the secret stuff like Holden Necky, He, he, I feel like he is kind of a young John Haycock on offense, you know, where he's kind of revolutionizing. Um, yeah. yeah. Offenses. Kodal Necky would be a good fit, but he already, he got paid to go to Penn state. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think it'll be Clinton or yeah, someone close that's to my him. guess. Um, so I think we'll move on from, the offense coordinator conversation. Cause we're going to have plenty of time in the off season to kind of dissect the football roster. And then yeah. something did something big did happen uh, last night. So Iowa state lost 73, 65 at Houston in what I can only be uh, what can only be described as a rugby match with a rim. And <laughs> it was funny when in the second half, the Houston fans were given the ref, you suck ref, you suck. And I'm like, Guys, what do you want him to call? <laughs> if you were to call fouls, every, I want Iowa State throw, shot three fouls in the first half, or three, sh- three free throws in the first half, but then started the second half uh, only committing two fouls to Houston's nine. So, like, it was kind of skewed both ways throughout the entire... They but, consistently suck. They consist- I mean. <laughs> well, they consistently just under-called physically. Yeah. But, like, if you were to call every single contact foul, there would be 11 guys that fouled out of that game. That was yeah. just physical. I mean, wasn't there two times between Kurt Jones and Rob Jones that like had to stop the game to patch blood? I know Rob Jones. I, did. I, I saw one for sure. I, 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 I didn't see. I, think, I don't know if Kurt. They stopped the game, but I saw him like he after he dove for the ball. Like there was a loose ball and an inbounds that he dove for a ball and he caught up and he was like wiping his knee and like trying to like get his hand to dry off because he skinned his knee. Like that was. Physical F Y Z I C A L physical. Yeah, that, I mean that was a fun game. Houston's they're, they're legit, and that place was rocking. That that is the loudest um, away arena that Iowa State has played in so, for sure this year, this season. Yeah, I would say fog is the other is yeah. And but the thing is, is it's only eight thousand seats, so like that's half almost just just what just uh, below or just above half of what Hilton is. So it's not like it's huge, 
It's just the the proximity and the noise and the intensity of that space. Which I th- I, th- I think when Baylor built their new arena, they were trying to model Houston's because Baylor's is like similar size. There's a small and intimate, mm-hmm. but they don't have it rocking like Houston does. Yeah. Well, they also don't play like the thing is, is that it's nice. And I think Iowa state's like the, the Iowa state's fans and Kansas fans and Houston's fans understand the identity of those particular teams and, and support that identity versus like Houston's fans and Iowa state's fans, pretty similar in the arena, knowing that like, the the loudest time you're going to cheer isn't when you're making a three. It's when diving on the floor, diving on the floor, balls. you you get a stop, a, a shot clock ball. violation, something like like that's when you have the biggest cheers. And it feels like Houston's fans know that just as much as Iowa State fans know that. But like that was, uh, I mean, free throws were the difference. I think in that game, sort I knew of it was going to be by the time it got done. And honestly, it wasn't as bad of a free throw. There were ten for fourteen, ten for fifteen, I think, and three of those or three or four of those were Rob Jones. And so like. I mean, at some point, it's gonna get, it's gonna come back to bite you more than it did. But 10, 10 like, to 15. And what was Houston like? Twenty four of thirty or something like that. Twenty four of thirty two. Yeah, twenty four of thirty two. Like you, twenty four free throws. That's a ton of free throws made. A lot of yeah. those were in the last three minutes when they were in the double bonus, and Iowa State was trying to come back. But they also made all of those shots. Like Jamal Shed. I love. He's, he's I the love most, him. He is the most impressive player that I've seen. All year, if he does not win, not just Big Twelve Player of the Year, but National Player of the I Year, mean, Zach Eady's pretty freaking good. I, I I think he's better than Eady. I I think Eady is just big because he's huge. I think Jamal Shed is he, he is he is nasty on defense. He makes all the right plays on offense. He, I am super impressed. I love I love his game. I I feel like at Eady Shed and like you know a wild card if if Kevin McCuller was healthy or Hunter Dickinson maybe, but like. I don't know. I, I guess I don't know enough about the the out the non Big Twelve conferences. I haven't paid a, a, attention as much to that. But it feels like like when you watch Jamal Shed, like everything he does is the right play to me. He is Taman Lipsy plus two years and some time. That that's the same player. Yeah. He so so he he doesn't turn the ball over and he's just he's so intense on defense, but he's also just very in the zone. You know, I I mentioned this to you guys. Have the Ducks ready, Aiden? Before the the show where Samson asked him at a timeout, like, like, how you doing? And he looked at his coach in the face and I read his lips. He said, I'm fucking great. <laughs> like just to have that kind of intensity. Like, yeah, I'm ready to Like I've already played 30 plus minutes. Like I'm ready to keep going. Yeah. Well, and that second, he won the game for him because yeah, I was, yeah, he did. I was stayed in the second half. I would say other than Jamal shed played better. They, the offense was generally, it was more fluid. He they, willed his team to a win. Yeah, I mean. Exactly. He had 20 of the 20. We had 20 of his 26 in the second half. And I think he only maybe had one turnover, maybe in the second half. So like everything he did was just the winning play. And I don't know, watching Houston play, it, it reminded me of really it reminded me of Iowa State when they're at their best. It's what Houston is when they're at their best. And out rebounding Houston is huge. It's just free throw. I mean, Houston making all of their free throws. Imagine if in the the back four minutes of that game when Houston's shooting, and I don't have the exact statistics, but I would guess they shot somewhere between 12 and 14 of their free throws in the last four minutes of that game. Imagine if they went 50%. If they if they shot 14 free throws in the last four minutes, they won by seven, eight. If you, if you miss those, how different the game actually is. So they made the free throws to win the game, but they play lockdown defense. They absolutely know what do you want to do on offense and we're going to take that away. Iowa State does the same thing. Like they wanted in the first half, Houston was driving baseline a lot. Like they were they were setting up and, and Fran Fraschilla uh, called it out really well if they're going to try and have a no middle defense. So Milan's going to try and shade towards the lane. 
uh, or so if he's on the left wing, he's going to shade towards the lane, which gives a direct line to the basket. If you're able to take it, help side's going to come once you get past Milan and then you kick it out to somebody else. Can you make that shot? Houston did that. Either they made the shot or they passed it and made that secondary shot. Like they were able to execute that defense. And then Iowa State said, okay, this is what you're doing. We're going to take that away. And then Jamal Shedd made the adjustment to that adjustment to be able to penetrate in the lane when they were starting to cut off that baseline stuff. So it was such a cat and mouse. So two really good defensive teams, two teams that like know who they are and they don't try and be anything else. Man, that, that game, like you put that in a neutral court, who knows what happens? If, if I if I had no dog in the fight, I mean, regardless, that was just that was a great, just a great game. Sucks, obviously, I would say lost, but I would rather lose to Houston, number two Houston at Houston in that way. In that way, the the closest opponent that Houston has played, I think the other whoever they played. The next closest is fifteen. Yeah, the next closest they, they game. They beat West Virginia by thirty six. The next closest game, the next closest Big Twelve game in that arena was fifteen points. Yeah. I mean, their, and, their average margin of victory is over 20 points in that arena in Big 12 play, over 30 points on that floor non-conference. I, 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 season, I, I think mean. that Houston has a very legit shot of cutting down the nets this year, but Iowa State obviously has beaten them once and has, you know, they went toe-to-toe with them last night. Like you said, you put them on a neutral court. I think the home court advantage is, is neutralized, no pun intended. Iowa State's right there with them. I mean, I told you, Jeff, Elite Eight is the floor. <laughs> That's, the, the ceiling is the roof. Um, the, the cool thing about this too, is that like both of these teams, you can say the same compliment about each one. I would say Jamal shed definitely won the matchup between Taman and shed. I think Taman also like his shoulder is still kind of recovering and you play that ankle too. Look, you, like. you play that physical of a game and how many freaking hard screens did Taman run into? And like, you just couldn't hear it. I'm sure if you, if, if Jones or ward or whoever is behind is calling that screen out, I'm sure you just couldn't hear it. Like, your screen left, screen left, screen left, or whatever. He didn't hear that. So he just, everything was just running into a brick wall. And he's, I think his shoulder is a little bit sore and whatever. And it's also a dude, like Jamal Shedd's a dude. He's built. But like, you can say basically the same thing about both teams is that in the first half, it was the the refs let it go so far that like there was a time I remember. So we had put, we had, uh, our daughter takes her last feed, like eight thirty, nine o'clock ish. And we'll put her down. And so I watched the whole thing after we put her down. So she's in bed and uh, she, the TV is on the same wall uh, as the one wall, of the bedroom. So like it's set at like volume, you know, I think I said this before, it's like volume 10 out of, and it's like usually at 25 anyway. So there was a time, I don't remember. It was like a tip ball. It ended up being a turnover that Iowa state got, which then they immediately turned it over on the fast break. And like, Someone tipped the ball. Taman goes up to grab it. Some someone just rips his arm away. They don't call that foul. He dribbles it. Someone body checks him. He then passes it out to I think Kurt Jones. Maybe Kurt Jones gets body checked. They pick up the ball. <laughs> None of those were called. And then on the other side, someone, some Iowa State guy, I don't remember who it was, bumps the shooter as he's shooting, and they don't call that. And I'm like. None of that's a foul. Just, None of that. Just roller derby just, out there. Jesus Christ. Elbows to the neck. Like I don't know. Any one of those four on either Iowa State or Houston probably should have been a foul. But in the first half, the refs were letting it go so much that it was just like brass knuckles fist fight, and we're just going to go. And both teams are like, all right, cracks knuckles, let's do this. There, there was there was one play that a guy jumped on Rob Jones' back. He gave him a piggyback ride for a couple <laughs> steps. No call. And then other side, uh, on the other end of the floor, like I, don't know, I think it was Rob barely touched him, and the ref didn't have an angle. Like 
like Rob's body. Uh, it was, his, he punched his, the ball. Yeah. Yeah. His arm was, was, you know, his body was between the, the ref and, and the, the quote unquote foul. And then yeah. you watch it back and Fran's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see but that. Like, one. How do you call that game? Like that? I would still say it's a I fairly, know. I don't know. I don't know the referees, but it doesn't feel like it was a super exceptionally officiated game. That's just like the hardest game to officiate. Yeah. How are you going to officiate two teams that want to just elbow each other in the face? Like, like, like an old, old West Virginia, like West Virginia. Yeah, would, exactly. Like in, you're in, not going to call everything. What, 2013 West Virginia, whatever it was when they made the elite eight. And it's like, all right, they got 12 dudes that they're going to play and they're going to dare you to foul out four of them. That, that, that's why I, I think not only Houston, I mean, I think they're just, they're talented. They're, they're top 16 in both offense, offensive and defensive metrics. Um, Iowa state, I think is in the top 40 now offensively. So that's where you want to be. And they're top, what their second, third, third defensively, third on Ken Palm, third on Ken Palm in yeah. the top 40. It's like, I think you want to be the last 20 some champions in Ken Palm. It's I think 38 and below for defense and 15 below for offense. So, I mean, still, or, sorry, 38 for offense and 15 for, 15 defense. for yeah. defense. So like you're approaching territory where that is. So, That's like, why Houston fits that yeah. and Houston, but Houston's such an outlier because they're yeah. so efficient all the time. But like to finish that point, the first game, there's two separate styles that were played because in the second half, the referees, I think they kind of got it to a point where like, okay, that's a foul. Got it. Like we, we know what that's going to be. Like by the time the back half of the second half happened, everybody understood we're playing basketball. Now we're not playing rugby anymore. And both teams were able to like chameleon their way into, all right, we're going to play up tempo. All right, Milan, we're going to isolate you on a guy who's got four fouls go to town or Kurt Jones. We're going to make sure that we're going to screen for you and get a shot on the other side, Jamal shed making every single play. Even as Iowa state switched that two, three, he was like, okay, it's two, three, let's get somebody. You know, I think Roberts is that other, one of their forwards, you know, get to the high post or whatever. And we're going to run everything. And like, both teams were able to switch on a dime from rugby match to actual basketball. And they were able to both proficiently play. So last year, it reminded me of the pit game last year, like Iowa state's sort of offensive success in the first half, they shot way better in this game and it's a better team. But like with the pit game, Pitt wanted to play faster and Iowa state couldn't keep up. They couldn't change their style and they couldn't get Pitt out of the speed that they were playing with. This team can do both. Yeah, like Houston and Iowa State can both do, and I would say Kansas is the same way. Baylor doesn't have Baylor can't win a rock fight, but they're going to drag you into a track meet. So like Kansas, if they're able to stay out of foul trouble, Iowa State and Houston all have the same kind of capacity to play. All right, this game's going to be eighty six to eighty two. Let's do it. Or this game's going to be fifty five to thirty or fifty five to fifty. All right, let's do it. Like they can do both. All three of those teams can do both of those games. I I, I think um, you know Iowa State. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I think the reason why I'm I'm so confident they're going to do well in March Madness is because teams are not going to be I'm ready. Not win. Everybody, teams are not going to be ready um, for the physicality and the the defense that Iowa State faces. Houston's obviously put them twice now, but like that's why you see Iowa State get up so quickly on teams, especially the first time you play them right off the jump. Yeah, right off the jump, and that that's I mean, it's like in in March Madness, you're not going to you're not going to see Iowa State twice. You're going to play them once. They're going to get up on you, and then you're gonna be like, oh shit, this is this team is intense. Their, their, their defense is doing this and that. We haven't seen this before. Um, and, and defense travels. So I'm, I'm confident in that I would say, yeah, we, you know, we lost to, to Houston one game, or I guess half game, whatever behind them now in, in the standings, but Houston's who Houston's road to, I mean, there's is more difficult than Iowa State's. Their biggest test, in my opinion, comes Saturday at Baylor. I don't think Kansas is. I think Kansas is going to lose by 15 plus I, I'm, at Houston, at Houston, well, especially because they're depending on health. Like I, 
if they don't have a shot at the title, I don't know if they're necessarily going to rest guys, but like they're going to minute control McCuller, uh, Dickinson, Dewan Harris. Harris. Yeah. Like they're going to they're going to minute control those guys. KJ Adams could play forty minutes a game, six nights a week. But yeah, so 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 Houston does have on paper a, a harder. So here, let's let's through, final five games. Let's go through the schedule real quick. So okay. Houston's final five games. They have a it's a it's a hard road to hoe. So they have they're at Baylor on Saturday. I, I will say too that they are completely not a completely different team, but their home court advantage is nuts. So like you 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 put Houston on a neutral floor, or we saw Cincinnati. They, they almost Cincinnati almost beat them, or or on, on an away game. Houston's not the same team. They're still phenomenal. They're still really good. But they're not phenomenal. Right. Um. So they're at Baylor on Saturday. Then they host Cincinnati, which they will win by a hundred points. Uh, not because Cincinnati's bad, because Houston's really good at home. Then they go to Oklahoma. Then they go to uh, UCF, which could be sneaky, sneaky, man. Like UCF at home, they've beaten Kansas. They've been really close with everybody else. I think they've got another couple home upsets. Like I think they beat Oklahoma in, in Orlando and then they on, they, they beat uh, Kansas. Yeah. So they beat Kansas in, in Orlando and they play Houston then finishes their regular season at home against Kansas, which we were talking about before may or may not uh, Kansas may or may not care as much about that game because they probably they might already have a Thursday seed locked up uh, for the Big 12 tournament. They probably are going to be out of contention for the Big 12 title. They're already in the dance. The, like, who they're already in the dance. They're already going to be like a two or a three seed, pretty much guaranteed. Like they might, they might play a lot more bench where like McCuller, instead of playing 35 minutes, is going to play 22. And Dickinson, instead of playing 31 minutes, is going to play 18. Like they're not going to punt it completely, but I don't think they're really going to want to risk in the, that physical of a matchup getting one of their five guys that are really going to play five and a half. If you include, uh, I, I forget the name of the, the, the backup point guard, like it's not going to be, I, I don't know that the, the, the games that are potential track were tricky for them at Baylor at Oklahoma at UCF. Like those are the ones that for, uh, Houston. Now, if we look at Iowa state schedule, substantially more favorable. Now it doesn't mean that it's, everything's a guaranteed rollout, but they host West Virginia on Saturday, booty cheeks, they should get clapped. They host Oklahoma. Booty cheeks going to get clapped. I know that that's a revenge game at UCF sneaky. against sneaky, sneaky game at UCF home against BYU revenge game. And then chat Kansas state. So beyond booty cheeks, that, that's they're like, if you can go like the dirtiest, largest perineum, like that's Kansas. They, they stink. <laughs> but however, those guys stink revenge game. Like that's going to be that even if they lose the next four games, which is possible. I think Iowa State's only at that as, oh, Jerome, you think we record your huddle? That's true. Fuck you. No. Ducks. Um, but Iowa State's schedule on the back half is a lot more favorable. If Houston, it's not uncon, it's not inconceivable that Iowa State finishes 5-0. and They might trip up once. So Don't it, put that bad juju out there. Knock on wood. Uh, but then Houston... There for them to finish five and zero would be a, a huge feat, and if they do that, tip your cap, you win the conference. Good for you. But finishing five and zero with that schedule, that's going to be a that's going to be a dogfight to actually be able to do that. So I don't know, Houston, Houston and Iowa State sort of feel like the the class, the Big Twelve, Baylor sneaky uh, because they are improving so fast. Saturday helps Iowa State both one way or the other, though. Right? Yeah. Towards the Big Twelve, if Houston loses, towards seeding if Baylor loses. Either one of those, fine. So yeah, it's it is a I don't know. It it to me it's a three horse race. I don't think Kansas is really gonna be in contention or really care Texas, about the big Twelve title. Texas, kind of Texas Tech, too. I don't think I think that they still have a tough, tough schedule in the back half. But they uh 
I think Baylor, Houston, and Iowa State are the three teams that have a reasonable shot. Like if Baylor beats Houston, all four of those teams are tied for uh, the I think they're nine and four at the top of the conference or ten and four at the top. Who's of the, the fourth? Uh, Kansas would be the, uh. the fourth. So like those three teams feel like they are the ones that are in control for the back half with obviously Houston being, the, being at the top. But like that, that was just, I don't know. That was just good basketball. You can be mad. I don't know. Again, social media, what the, the vibe on that is. Is anybody mad that that happened? Is anyone like maybe the one despondent guy who had a couple too many drinks and went to his keyboard? Like maybe that guy, but I haven't like, seen anybody I, that feels like a game where you're like a lot, a lot of respect back and forth between both fan bases. You know, I, I saw a lot of Houston fans like Iowa state's legit, you know, and Iowa state, I would like, you know what? No, we didn't expect to win. Yeah, Houston's legit. Yeah, they're really good. Ten and a half point dogs at home. Or ten, or ten and a half point favorites at home against yeah. the number six team in the country. Yeah, great teams cover. Um, my, my only gripe, I know that I know that um um was he's obviously a freshman and he was Houston is, is great. He's got a hundred shots. There, there's too often, not even just in this game, where he goes 15 minutes, just he's gone. Yeah. And so he he, he is Iowa State's best shooter. And he needs to uh, Jig, Jiggy's Jiggy might be you know and, what? and between uh and Keyshawn between Jiggy and Keyshawn, those guys actually threats from deep. But yeah, I would say yes, Milan's still probably the best shooter, but Jiggy ah. But but Milan's he's so crafty, he can find his shot, you know, whether it's the up and under, the dipsy do, whatever, the the three. He's so crafty. Flopsy floofle. Fade away. Yeah, the, the dip the, the doodle. The zippity. Um, zingity bomb he's, bomb. He's just so the, the whipsy boo. Yeah, that's it. He's just so crafty with it, with the fadeaway and everything. But I'll, I'll tell you this. When Naz was playing, I felt so confident every time the shot went up, a three went up that was going in. I'm getting there with Jiggy. Yeah. Every time. I, he, did, he didn't have his best shooting game last night. Um, you know, he went uh, three for five from three, which is still good. 60% still good. But every time he shoots it, I'm confident it's going in. And I love it. Let yeah. it rip. Let it fly. And Nate called that early on. He, he thought that Jiggy was going to be our best shooter, which, I mean, yeah, him and him and Milan are, are right there. Um, but my my only gripe is that Milan's a starter. He's playing more games than more games, more minutes than Jiggy usually. Um, yeah, I just I I think he personally needs to hunt his shot. But also, I can't gripe because we're playing such good ball that there's so many guys that can score. We don't always necessarily need him to score. Selfishly, I just I just like seeing them stroke it and go in. Yeah, I think another fun thing about this Iowa State offense is that you have such strength and depth at every level where your two post players between Rob and Hassan, they do two, they're, they're very different in how they do it. And it's kind of a fun, it's sort of like a, the Lindell white, Reggie Bush type thing. And I'm not saying it's like Heisman trophy and like all American level, but that type of feeling where like Rob Jones starts and Lindell white started Reggie Bush became, he was so good because you were so sick of trying to tackle Lindell white that you get the fastest dude with the most explosiveness in the entire conference in, in, in all of college football. That he was just every play that he touched was huge. Well, that's sort of the same dynamic between Bob Jones Bab, uh, and Hassan is that Robert Jones is out there and he is going to work like you as the post player that you're going to, he is going to run. He's going to be the first one down the court every single time to get established position. On defense, he is going to put his elbow in the middle of your back. You're going to be as you're going to have to work to get position because he's going to have to sit. He's going to push you so far out. He's so strong. He's not as athletic as Hassan. No one is, but he's much more physical. And you got to fight, 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 and then you get past him and you get a layup. All right, Rob, go take a breather. Hassan, come in, go jump out of the gym, and 
every shot then becomes contested no matter where he is if he's within like eight feet of the basket it's a contest shot on either side like the one that he swatted into uh, friggin' pear land like that shot that he blocked he was on the other side like it wasn't even a it was a help side he, he came over from the help side and just blocked it into louisiana that was like a volleyball set spike like <laughs> so oh, nice dude that's so sweet but like the athleticism that he plays with as a counter to rob's physicality is really hard to deal with and that's why they i think that's the reason why they out rebounded houston is because their their bigs were so caught up in having to deal with those two then you move on to the next your forwards the two primary forwards that you're playing with are trey and milan and then uh, Demarion Watson comes in as kind of the, the the spell guy for those two. That those two specifically between Milan and Trey, Trey, it's sort of similar in that Milan is crafty shot maker. He's long. He's not as explosive, but he's just knows how to he knows how to use the ball to his advantage and knows where to be on defense. And Trey is, I mean, Trey had a great game on Monday and he was physical. He's able to bully you again. And then you look at the guards, the three primary guards with Jones, uh, Gilbert and Taman, and then Jackson coming in with a six or seven minutes here or there to give a spell. If someone's in foul trouble to get to the next timeout, like there's depth, there's two forward or two posts, two forwards and two and a half between Watson and then three and a half guards that's a lot of dudes that you can play. And so even if it makes me feel more confident going into March madness, that, ah, man, we're the, the officials are going to call everything tighter. They're going to be more ticky tack. You know, guys might get in foul trouble. Okay. You don't want it to happen. Say Keyshawn picks up two early fouls. All right. You did last night. Jiggy Kirk comes in. Okay. We're good. There's not a drop off. Okay. Now we get to the under four timeout of the first half. Keyshawn can come back in and play because there's depth that you can have it happen. That can't happen with teams like Kansas. Like if McCuller picks up two early fouls, oh, you know, like, yeah. so that's the thing that makes me feel more confident. And Houston has the same thing, but like that makes me feel more confident about this Iowa state team in March is that they can play physical. And if they get called for these ticky tack fouls, that's fine. You still have depth to do it. My only um, worry about March, I would say is that um, Grant's gr uh, laments. Sure. It's what Grant laments. Sure. So, so reticence grants reticence. I, I'm so I'm I'm so confident. Obviously, we'll do it because defense travels. Um, guard play is huge in in, in March, and Iowa State's got, got three th three really good ones. And Jackson has a good set, a spell. And, and Houston obviously has Cryer, who hasn't didn't really do anything versus Iowa State either game. I think that's because Keyshawn. He's talented, but Keyshawn, he, Keyshawn matched up on him, but obviously the shed. entire time. Yeah. Um, and then the distributed scoring, what I is I what I think is going to score or carry them in the in the playoffs, playoffs in, the, in March Madness playoff. Playoffs, playoffs, because uh, playoffs. You kidding me? Um, playoffs, because really, there's five guys that could go off any night. So like, you 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 shut down Milan. You got other guys. Um, my only worries though, um, Grant's laments is Grant's reticence. If, if if Iowa State has to consistently shoot free throws, they've been inconsistent on them. Well, it depends on who's shooting them. I, like, well, like, Keyshawn's been good. He was three for five yeah, last night. Yeah, that's true. And and yeah. Taman hasn't been that great either. Yeah, so, Taman. It feels like Taman and Bob Jones are the two guys that you don't want shooting free throws. Bob's kind of shot deep this year, though. Milan, he's fifty percent right now. Five zero fifty. Mm. It's not great. Uh, but if you have if Kurt Jones and Milan and Trey and uh, Keyshawn are the guys that are doing the shooting, that percentage goes up. And and Taman, as long as he's not shooting twelve of them, 
that percentage still will go up. So it's kind of who is the one that's getting fouled and going to the line. And then Keyshawn can't miss the front end of a one-on-one. Ah, I know it. Um, But I don't know. that. It was just a fun game, and I'm excited. It's a nice get right on Saturday when you get to host the worst team in the conference. And I don't think Iowa State has any reason to hang their heads. I mean, I think that they they played hard. That's Houston's. They're good. Go to the treatment room. Get those ice bath. Yeah. Did, did you ice bath in college? Do I do ice bath now? No. You don't. You don't like cold plunge. Cold no. plunge. No. I don't cold so plunge recently, right kind of getting side tangent. Recently, I have been like the last thirty seconds of my shower just turning it out as cold as I can. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's great. I just have like a like a like you need more energy. Well, it kind of gets my mind right oh, a little bit. Okay. So cyclones get your mind right. And so that gets my from football. What? That was before me. No, it's now. No, it's now. Oh, that's now? You, who yeah, the hell is this you're guy? Not, you're not on socials. So. I, do, I don't. It's, who again, is this you're, guy? you're talking to yeah. an old guy who doesn't, I don't do the internet. It's no, I, 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 I do the Google machine. Like the, the last, last 30 seconds of my shower. And I just, you know, just, it's like, that's what it, I, I can't control it. It just, it comes out. But anyways, yeah, I would say get in the cold tubs, you, get rested up, I, get, get ready, <laughs> get ready to slap them booty cheeks on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, we, we have one one more topic and i don't know how to make it a, a possible reasonable transition out of that so i'm just going to jump to it um we t- shit man it's, okay pull it together jeff <laughs> the playoff committee <laughs> such a serious conversation i was taking potentially host a playoff game in 2025 that's really cool uh but the Playoff committee came out and said they officially approved the five and seven playoff uh, format, which I think that it does two main things. One is it establishes what are the criteria for selection, which is five top ranked conference champions, which is likely going to be big 10 sec, ACC, big 12, and then the non power four conferences, the the highest rate, the the highest highest rated rated team to win the, the, the conference championship so the mountain, of the non mountain West American CUSA, whoever it is, if the, and that kind of encompasses your Boise's yep. your, uh, whatever Toledo, your Toledo's the, the, anything that's not power four. So that's those five conference champions. And I'm sure they're going to seed them, not in that order where it might not be like the five seed, uh, coastal Carolina. They probably aren't going to be the five seed. They're going to get in the dance, but then they're going to have to be seeded by order of quality. What if they're undefeated? They're undefeated, then they might be, but like they, there's going to be, I would imagine that that team is probably going to be like the six, seven seed. So they'll probably host the first round, but then have to go on the road after that. But then there's seven at larges after that. So most of those at larges are going to be taken. It probably should be taken by the SEC and the Big Ten because those conferences, as much as we, you, you talk trash about them, and, and there is an, a sense of overratedness with those because of the storyline, they are always very top loaded of conferences. So your Georgia and Alabama probably were two of the four best teams in the country last year, but they weren't able to get in because of, you know, the way the playoff was structured. We'll both get it. And then maybe, I don't know if there was a team. I don't think there was in the sec that was like really super deserving of an at large behind that. Maybe LSU, maybe, but like then you always have your Ohio state, your Michigan Penn state this year. USC is going to be in that conference, Oregon, Washington. They're going to, most of the at larges are going to come from those two conferences, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. If you have a situation like what was it, 2012, when TCU and Baylor were each 11 and one, both of them are going to be getting in. So, likely in that situation. So, uh, it feels like 
the criteria being set for this. The second thing that that this says, other than the criteria for what it's going to be, is the SEC, Big Ten, the world is ending, uh, meteor shower of uh, everything falling apart. It's at least put on hold for now. And I think that it establishes the fact that they're going to at least give this some kind of runway to see if it's going to be worthwhile before they start saying, all right, let's up and leave this joint. Because I think this is going to be, this will do tremendous TV ratings, tremendous. And I think because of the inclusion of all the conference champions, it's going to matter. If you start excluding everybody, if you start excluding the big 12, excluding the ACC, excluding the non-group of five or the non-powerful fours, I don't care. So I think this is going to, this feels like, uh, even if it might not be the governance structure that it's going to be, something like this will probably be what the playoffs are for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, and I think this is still kind of a rough draft-ish. I mean, I think they'll tweak it as needed. But yeah, so right now it'll be that those five teams plus that they're saying the next seven highest uh, ranked teams. So it might not be like, it's not necessarily going to be the top 12 teams no, so, in, so in their playoff like, rankings, like, like Tulane, Liberty, if, if Tulane is ranked twenty third and they win the AAC, I think Liberty was the highest ranked team. Now they got boat raced by Oregon, boat raced, but they deserve to be in. They they weren't they deserve to be in there. I mean, yeah. So, but that team, so it's not necessarily going to be the top twelve teams in the rankings because of where the the conference champions are set up to be. Yeah, so it'll be interesting though. I mean, you, you got to think, you know, yeah, like like you mentioned, the SEC, the Big Ten will probably pull a bunch. Um, Notre Dame, Notre Dame will probably, probably be, probably be in there. Washington state and Oregon state. They're like, they're trying to, you know, flex whatever muscles they filibuster? have. They're going to filibuster. I say it again. Filibuster. Uh, spell that. I don't know what that means. I've heard of it before. Aiden, do you know filibuster is? So. Yes, but only from that, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. No, I was going to say the Parks and Rec episode. Uh, I, I I've, heard, I've heard it in, in politics. I don't know. I don't know what politics, it is. Right? I don't know what it is now, but like it, it Isn't used it like, to be where you can just stand as long as you can stand and talk for as long as it. Yep. And you just take as much time as you take possible. as much time as possible yeah. to. Could, That's essentially what yep. they're doing. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I, I'd seen a thing on ESPN where basically they wanted a couple things to happen before they, they were going to speak on it. And those have happened. So now it's like, okay, now what? I think they want the same treatment as, because technically the PAC 12 is still a conference. So, that's true. Loopholes. So, so th- they want the same kind of treatment that Notre Dame gets in that Notre Dame's not in a conference and Washington state and Oregon state, they're essentially independent teams where they're going to play each other. There's, conference a, champ. there's a conference champ. Yep. There and, you then, go. and then they're going to, they're going to play Mountain West and whoever else. So they're essentially going to be an independent like Notre Dame. So they would like to be treated like Notre Dame in that they're not going to fall into a category of, you know, a, a, a big 10, big 12 champ, you know, they're not going to be a Pac-12 champ. It's mm-hmm. not going to be one of those two teams. So, which I, I'm not really sure what they're trying to argue because if you're good enough, if you're in the top 10, like you're probably going to get in. So just win your games and just shush. Shush. Yeah. You know? Knock it off. Yeah. Knock it off. No one likes your sass. Yeah. So that's all I've got. I think that's it. That. Fun episode. So that's you know, a professional transition. Yeah. So thank you, you know, to all of our loyal listeners who are still listening. Um, I guess, do you have anything for, uh, for everyone with uh, Goldfinch Athletics? I mean, I just be nice to yourself. I mean, Goldfinch Athletics, we're goldfinchathletics.com. If you want to, if, if you're interested in starting to work out, I, I, I we, we can talk about this once the season's over uh, just because there is, I don't know. I feel like it deserves a longer conversation, whether it's a kid or an adult, as far as treating yourself with respect and actually saying, I don't feel good about myself. Well, let's do something about it. Come to an environment where people actually 
give a shit and want to help you do that. And that's goldfinchathletics.com. So check it out. If you don't, great. That's fine. We'll at some point, you know, cross paths. So uh, we'll talk about that more once the basketball season's over and we're not an hour into an episode. So. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to, no, didn't that's mean to shoot you in at the end. I just want to make fine. sure you didn't, you know. Uh, yeah. So we didn't thank, have an interview today. So no, we didn't. So thank you to all of our loyal listeners, uh, as always. And uh, remember, adopt, don't shop.